0: My name is uh, Kent Woodrow. I'm the associate pastor here at Holy Cross. If I haven't met you yet, um, would you go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians? Because today we're going to start a new series. And I wouldn't blame you if you responded and it's called The King and Fill in the Blank. I have been kind of on a king kick. Uh, but no, we're starting, a book, uh, we're starting the book of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, And I'm titling this letter, the sermon series, Jesus First, Jesus Only, Jesus Always. Because as we're going to work through this letter, I think that's what you're going to see. This letter is all about, Paul's whole point in this letter is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus First because he is preeminent in all things. Jesus uh, Only. Because when it's all said and done, what matters most is Jesus. And Jesus always and forever, right? Hey, um, why are we doing this? Why why are we going to the book of Colossians? Well, until Pastor Jake gets here, um, we'll be studying this letter. And here's why. Um, So as I was thinking back on 2023, I was thinking about everything that our church has gone through. It was a year of a lot of change. A lot of people like had a lot of loss. The number of parents that folks in our congregation lost in the last year was astounding. Like, it was more than I think in my entire rest of the time that I've been here at Holy Cross. The, we had fires. Like How often do you hear about people's homes, people's businesses catching on fire? Um, we went through hospitalizations. We, we went through a lot together. And you know what held us in all of that? Jesus. Jesus first. Jesus only. Jesus always. Hey, 2024, I'm looking forward to it. There's a part of me that's like, hey, I'm ready to put a period at the end of 2023 and just shut that chapter. There's a lot of fun stuff that's coming up in 2024. I hope you're excited for it, right? But in the, I, I also recognize even in the midst of change, like as we face a ton of change, you might be slightly fearful, right? Looking back on 2023 and thinking, well, I don't want to repeat of that. Because a year of change has potential for conflict, right? Potential for mission drift. It has potential for uh, just frustration in general, right? Hey, you want to know what the answer to all that is? Guess what? Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus always, Jesus who has preeminence always, Jesus who when it's all said and done is the only one that matters and Jesus always and forever. Friends, that's what I want for us heading into 2024, right? Um, but here's, here's, here's where the rub is. Uh, if we're going to place the freight of all of our expectations and the weight of everything that we're hoping for for 2024 on Jesus, the question is, right? Can he hold that? Is he trustworthy? I think we've seen that, right, in 2023. But that's that's why we're gonna spend time in Colossians, right? If if we lock our eyes on Jesus as the as the center of our universes, can he keep our world spinning? Can he keep everything in Does he have the gravitational pull to hold it all together? Hey, is Jesus trustworthy? If you have asked that question over 2023, or just at all, or are currently asking that question, I just want to say, you're in the right spot. And that's what our letter, what Paul's letter to the Colossians is all about. Jesus, his trustworthiness, and the fact that he and he alone is the center of everything. And that is what we're going to study over the next uh, several weeks. So if you would, please stand, if you're able and willing, and turn to Colossians, Chapter 1, uh, we're going to delve into a little bit of chapter 4, verses uh, 12 and 13. I'm not going to read that right now, but it's in your bulletins. Um, hey, this, we're not going to be able to unpack everything in this passage. Um, here's the great thing about intro sermons and about introductions to letters. Those themes come up again and again and again. So we're just going to touch on them. What I'm doing right now in this particular sermon is trying to give you a fly-by overview of what Colossians is about. And then if you're like, well, I'm really disappointed he didn't talk about X, we'll probably come back around to it later in, in further sermon series. All right, so Colossians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you, peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world, uh, or as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Friends, it's the true word of the living God, and he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're not here to to do anything other than listen to you, to hear your words, to experience you. And that doesn't happen all on its own, Lord. It happens because you choose to show up. And so Lord, I pray that you would. Your people are gathered here expectant, looking to your word to to set the tone for this year. So Jesus, would you do that? Jesus, would you show up? Would you feed your sheep? For those of us who need to be shaken out of our apathy, would you do that? For those of us who need comfort and encouragement, would you do that? For those of us who need to be grounded for the next year, would you do that? For those of us who need rejoicing, would you do that? We pray all of this in your name because, Lord, only you can do all of that. pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, uh, Ever had to ask that question, can I really trust, fill in the blank, right? I think in, in large part, uh, we probably ask this question about a million times a day in, in, in small little ways. Can I really trust the internet to be on when I open my browser, right? Can I, can I really trust this chair to hold my weight? So little things like that. Um, but that question, can I really trust, fill in the blank, becomes truly more terrifying the more important the object of that trust is to our own well-being and survival, right? So uh, I'm just going to throw out some, some can I trust questions that may sound common in our day. Uh, maybe you've asked them. Can I really trust what I read in the news? Can I really trust that Social Security is going to be there for me uh, when I retire? Can I really trust this... Uh, this planet to work the way that I've just always assumed it would? Can I, can I really trust my coworker to do their part in this, in this career-making move that I'm in the middle of? Can I really trust my leaders? Can I really trust my friend with that, that piece of information I just shared with them? Can I really trust my spouse? Hey, I bet you, you know what it's like to have those fears, to fear trustworthiness, to, to ask the question, can I really trust? And, and hey, if, if that's you, then you understand the Colossians and you understand their fears because uh, they wrestled with the, the question, can I really trust? And uh, those fears began with the messengers. So that's our first point, the messengers, uh, and one messenger in particular. So it's this guy that we're introduced to in verse 7, the guy named Epaphras. Um, so what are the, the fears of him? So what I'm, what I'm planning to do in this first part of the point is just to give us some context. This is a broad picture. Here Here's why Paul is writing this letter, okay? Um, so Epaphras was actually the, the pastor, the guy who planted this little church in Colossae. Uh, John, I think I got a map up there, if you don't mind, or... Uh, Thanks, man. All right, so uh, this little church in Colossae, Colossae's kind of like in the heart of the of uh, what is modern-day Turkey right now, um, and uh, several years before, the Apostle Paul, you can see that, and so we got the little inset over there, the Apostle Paul was working and laboring as a messenger of the gospel in Ephesus. Ephesus was a big town about 100 and, yeah, about 100 miles away from Colossae, and uh, He was messaging the gospel there. Think of Ephesus kind of like the DC to our stanton. And so it was in Ephesus most likely that this guy named Epaphras met Paul. And Paul introduced Epaphras to King Jesus. Introduced him to that, that message of a rescuing, forgiving king who was making everything right again. And that message changed Epaphras' life. And so, like most of us do, when when you have good news, he couldn't wait for the folks back home to hear it. So he headed back to his hometown of Colossae and started sharing with his friends and families about the message of this good news about the king. And soon, his friends and family and other people surrendered their lives to King Jesus. And this little church in Colossae was born. The beautiful thing about it is... uh, then this little band of believers carried that message to the next, the two neighboring cities you can see up there, Laodicea and Hierapolis. They're about like five to ten miles away from where Colossae was. And, they, and these little cities had churches planted in them. You can see that in verses, uh, or chapter four, verse 13. All that sounds great. And then the fears hit. See, uh, just like in our day, Christianity wasn't the only option out there for Understanding how to do life, how to do religion, um, how to live the right way. See, the, these other views that society had started pressing in on this little church in Colossae. We'll talk a lot more about these views as we encounter them over the, over the course of the book. But just as a broad overview, there are two main things that, uh, that the people in Colossae were, were wrestling with, fearing. Okay? So there were, there were these local folk religions... Had, they were fairly superstitious. It was all about what, what things do you have to do? What things do you have to avoid? What rules do you keep uh, to avoid the dark forces out there that might just encroach on your life? See, life was one big accident waiting to happen, and there, was, there were dark spiritual powers behind everything. How do you placate them? How do you live just so? Do you not step on that 13th rung of a ladder? You know, don't, don't step on a crack, things like that, you know? There were the local folk religions. And then on the other side, there was a sizable Jewish population in Colossae. Uh, And they would have looked down their noses at these uh, young Christians who claimed to be following a Jewish king named Jesus and to be numbered among and to be worshiping Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. And so they would have been like, I mean, you Gentiles, sure, maybe Jesus is a fine first step, but you guys don't know the first thing about being God's people. You're not really one of us until you X, Y, or Z. This step, this step, this step, okay? And so fears begin to shake the trust of this little church in Colossae. Am I safe? Am I really in? Am I stuck? Like, how how, how do I grow? I, I think I need more. Question, do those sound familiar to you? Have they ever threatened your trust? Maybe, maybe you're in the midst of wrestling with one of these fears now, right? So broadly, we can break down the, the fears that the Colossians had into two main questions. First one is, am I safe? Am I safe? Can I trust Jesus to keep me safe? Well, safe from what, right? Uh, can I trust Jesus to keep me safe from, from God, Right? because fundamentally that's what religion is all about. It's, it's this uh, question, how do you get on God or the God's good side so you can then experience blessing and prosperity? Well, Christianity says, and this is what the Colossians have been told, you admit you're a rebel to God and you trust Jesus to make you right with God and you submit to him as your king. But that's where the fear hits, right? Surely God expects more than that, more than this, just this trust in Jesus, right? Like, tell me what I really need to do um, if I'm going to get on God's good side, because all the other religions out there, that's what they're saying. Here's what you need to do to get on God's good side. So can I trust Jesus to keep me safe from God? Can I also trust Jesus to keep me safe from just evil out there? That evil can take the form of like some of the things that the Colossians were worried about. Ghosts, spirits, devils, the, the dark powers, right? And it can also just take the form of, from just the evil that's out there in the world, the bad things that are happening, and, and, and closer to home, the evil that I see in me. So that leads us to the second category of fears that the Colossians would have been facing. Uh, so can I trust you to keep me safe? Can I... Am I stuck? You ever ask that question? I see, how how do I grow? I see a lot of wrongness in me still. Am I stuck? Are there things I need to be doing to grow? Is there information out there that I don't have? Can I trust Jesus to right what is wrong in me? You ever ask those questions? You ever had to wrestle with that? Hey, if you did, uh, I'm glad you're here, because that's what Colossians is all about. Um, and I would venture to say there probably isn't a Christian in this room who hasn't at some level had to wrestle with those two questions. Am I safe? Am I stuck? Do I have everything I need to grow, right? And so uh, these, these fears, they, sh- they shook the Colossians' faith, uh, and especially it shook their trust in their messenger, in Epaphras, Right? Uh, because after all, like, the he was just—he was a homeboy. He was a local yokel. He—he—he he, he was a Colossian, right? Like, could they trust him as a messenger? Was he actually trustworthy? H- had he left something out? And so, like, happened with Jesus in in Mark six that Laura read for us. Uh, that familiarity kind of bred contempt. And so, poor discredited. Uh, but faithful, Epaphras, he heads to Rome, where Paul is now currently in prison, uh, in part to to tell him about everything going on in Colossae and say, look, Paul, I need your help. And also maybe just to check in and say, have I missed something? Have I messed up? And so Paul writes this letter to the Colossians uh, to a church he's never met, a church he hadn't planted, right? Uh, in part to assure them that, hey, look, look at verse seven here. Uh, what's the word that's used here? Epaphras was a faithful minister of Christ on their behalf. He had been a faithful messenger. He had been trustworthy with the message and burying King Jesus' message of freedom and forgiveness, right? Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about a faithful messenger. What makes, what makes a faithful messenger? This might feel a little bit like an aside, but it's in our passage, so we're going to deal with it. And I think it's actually kind of fitting, given the fact that we've, we've called Jake and he's coming. Uh, and so it, it's helpful for us to be thinking through this. What makes, what makes a faithful messenger, a faithful pastor? Hey, uh, I know we all have in our minds an ideal pastor. Who is that for you? In your head. But What does the ideal pastor look like? Because we, we, we need to take that out and we need to examine that. Because here's what faithful doesn't mean. Faithful doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean perfect, right? And we know that. We know that. We just need to, we need to verbalize it. Um, see, for, for the Colossians, if, if, if I've asked you, right, like, who, who's your ideal? Who's your ideal, pastor? Uh, for the Colossians, maybe that would have been like Paul. Right? Because, uh, from, at least from everything that they heard about him, Paul was that church planting phenom, that, that pastor scholar with the, with the powerful pen. Um, and man, the church in Ephesus, they'd had the right pastor, didn't they? They, they, they had the superstar. And instead, what does Colossi get? I mean, we just get, we just get local Epaphras, homegrown Epaphras, right? Um, the truth is, though, y'all, uh, the more you get to know any pastor, the more they look like homegrown Epaphras. Right? Um, we know this. But I think, I think it's, it's especially helpful as we think about welcoming Jake. Right? As we bring on a new guy. Um, friends, let's not look for perfect. It's easy to look for perfect when, when you're looking at resumes, when you're having these interviews, and the, someone can be really polished up. Jake's a great guy. Hey, uh... Here's my encouragement, right? Don't look for perfect in any man, but Jesus. Jesus alone is the perfect pastor. He alone should be like the ideal pastor. And we, and here's what I would say on the other end, right? Um, even Jesus didn't satisfy the town of Nazareth, like we read about. He wasn't good enough for them. Familiarity bred contempt. So here, here's what I would. What I want to push us away from in 2024 and throughout, like, um, don't let familiarity breed contempt. Let's let's get let's uh, let's look for perfection where that can actually be found in our King Jesus, right? All right, so so that's what faithfulness doesn't mean. Faithfulness doesn't mean uh, uh, perfect or flawless. So, what what does a faithful messenger actually look like, right? Well, Paul gives a couple of a couple of uh, pictures of what this looks like. Um, a faithful messenger is faithful in prayer. I right, look down to uh, chapter four, verse twelve. Okay, he's describing Epaphras in chapter four, verse twelve, uh, and he says, "Poor discredited faithful Epaphras. He's like this man loves y'all's church. He loved Colossi, and he was faithful. And how did that show?" in prayer, like he struggled for them. Uh, Paul uses that exact same word struggle uh, later on for himself uh, in chapter one, verse 29, and then uh, chapter two, verse one. Epaphras agonized, he he worked for his people, he labored intensely for the Colossians in prayer. And in doing that, he modeled Paul, right? Because look at verse three. What's the first thing Paul does when he hears about these saints in Colossae? He prays. He prays for them with with great thanksgiving, right? Um, And in doing that, he modeled Jesus. So next week, we're going to look at the kind of prayer that a faithful messenger prays in verses 9 through 14. Um, I just want to encourage you all. What's the best thing your pastor can do for you? It's, It's exactly what we can do for each other. Just pray. Best thing. Your leaders can do for you, your elders, your pastors can do is pray for you. We've got this thing, right, where we're like, I don't know what to do. All I can do is pray. Friend, that's the best thing you can do. You want to know why? Because in prayer, you're actually taking you're taking the person who's, who you're concerned about and you're giving them to the one person who, who can actually do anything about it, right? That's what Epaphras did. He agonized, he struggled, he he wrestled as a faithful messenger. He wrestled in prayer for God's people. And he imitated, in doing that, he imitated Paul, and he imitated, ultimately, King Jesus, right? Um, So, a faithful messenger is faithful in prayer. He's also faithful in pain. So where do you see that? Well, look at uh, verse uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 4 again, right? Uh, Epaphras, always struggling on your behalf. He's one of you... Uh, let's see where were we are here. That you may stand mature. For I, I bear him witness in verse thirteen. I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. That word "hard" there is the Greek word "panos," which influence, influences the Latin word. Uh, I think it's "poena," which then, from which we get our English word "pain." Um, what Paul is saying there is like, he's, he's labored intensely for you in much, in, in much agony and, and pain. He's worked for you guys in Colossae and for the uh, churches in Laodicea and Heropolis. Um, how so? Well, because church planting is hard work, right? And then the way that the church in Colossae sort of repaid Epaphras with this kind of suspicion, I mean, that's painful too. Um, here's the point though, right? Epaphras wasn't out there selling people $20 of whole, like, holy oil in a vial for 20 bucks, right? He wasn't promising people, contribute to my jet and God will give you blessing. He labored faithfully for them in pain. Hey, and maybe, maybe you've had leaders in your life who've taken advantage of you. Taken advantage of, like they're in it for the money, and you can see that. And if that's the case, I just want to say I'm sorry for that. Like, that's not how it should be. Because God's faithful messengers are the ones that give themselves for the sheep. They give themselves. You want to know why a pastor does this? You want to know why Jake is doing this? Because of y'all. Because he loves y'all. But ultimately, he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He wants to see Jesus honored. And... You know, I, I can't speak to uh, whatever um, sacrifices and pain and so forth Jake might make in the future years as our lead pastor. But I, I can assure you this. He has given up a lot to come to Holy Cross, right? And I don't, I don't know that we're going to talk a lot about that, but he has given up a lot to come to us. So my encouragement to us, right, as a congregation, let's care for him well in that. All right, so a faithful messenger is faithful in prayer. He's, he's faithful in pain. He's not in it just for the gain. He's in it for pain. Or he's not in it for, yeah. Uh, he's not looking to make a buck. He's in it for Christ, right? Um, but ultimately, right, when, when it all is said and done, what makes a faithful messenger is he's faithful to bring the message, right? He wouldn't be a faithful messenger if he didn't bring the message, and that is the point, Right? the king's message. It was that message that Epaphras had brought to the Colossians, and it was that message that the Colossians were beginning to doubt. They weren't sure that they could trust this message. And so that's where Paul spends the bulk of this letter. He grounds the Colossians in their trust of this message. And he starts by saying, you can trust this message because this message produces fruit. You want to know that this good news of the gospel of the king who has come uh, is everything that we, you need, Colossians, Paul says? Just look at the results, right? So, so Paul points them to the, to the fruit, to the results that are happening first worldwide. So look at verse, uh, verse six here. Um, he says, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. See, the good news, this message about a forgiving king was spreading like wildfire in the Roman Empire. And one of the most visible results, one of the fruits of this message was the way it was drawing into one family people who ordinarily would not have anything to do with each other, right? Um, That included Jews like Paul, and Gentiles, like the Colossians. It included slaves, like this man we'll meet later on in the book of Colossians, called Onesimus, and owners of slaves, like Philemon, who also got a letter around the same time that this letter was written. Okay? People from every race and every social status from all around the world, they were being made into sisters and brothers in one family. Hey friends, uh, you can see this. Just look at the first four verses of the, our chapter. You just see the family language all over it, y'all. This church, this doesn't make any sense, right? Unless there's something powerful at work among us, uniting us when nothing else would, giving us the kind of love for each other that Paul then later describes in in uh, verse four. And by contrast. Um, I think we, it's worth asking, right, uh, if, if our church looks like just any other social gathering out there populated by the same similar clusters of people, you, have to, you end up having to ask, well, are we doing church right? Okay. Um, but Paul assures the Colossians of the trustworthiness of this message because it's producing fruit worldwide, but he also then points them to fruit growing closer to home. He says, y'all, you can trust this message because it's having personal effects, in your own life. So Paul didn't know, again, remember, he didn't know these Christians, okay? Um, but he had heard enough about them from Epaphras to, to convince him that they were fruit-bearing Christians. Why? Because he saw three marks that he looked for in Christians. And uh, here's the funny thing, like, at, Once you hear this, as you read Paul, you'll start noticing he looks for these things everywhere that cover his letters. It's Paul's trifecta. So what is Paul, what what marks a, a Christian? You're probably more familiar with these three from the passage that we often hear read at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, which ends this way. And now abides faith, hope, love. And so in verses four and five, Paul points out these three marks of Christianity, of, of a living, genuine, spirit-filled faith in, in the Colossians. Look at verse 4. He says, hey, I'm giving thanks to God because I see in you faith. We've heard of your faith in Christ. Y'all, faith isn't just this vague confidence that we have uh, about the future or like projecting what we want into the future with, uh, with positive vibes. That's kind of how we uh, understand faith in our culture today. Um, y'all. Faith is definite trust in a person. That's why Paul says, "When we pray for since we heard of your faith in Christ, it's trust in a person. And hey, at this moment, the Colossians' trust was wavering, it was frail and all that, and yet Paul could say, y'all, I've, I've heard from Epaphras and I believe from what he said, y'all are bearing that fruit of faith. You trust. You trust Jesus to be all that He says He will be and do. So, he sees the mark of faith. Verse four again, because of the love that you have for all the saints. Right? Uh, Paul's thanking God because they've He has given the Colossians this unnatural spirit-filled love. For whom? For all the saints, which is just another way of saying the church. Right, Christian. Do you realize that when Je- one of the marks of Jesus invading your life and changing you, it's not just that you have love for him, that you love Jesus' people too. That you love Jesus' people. Hey, this is, this is part of why um, it is absolutely necessary to be part of God's people. It's, it's popular today to bash the church, right? But the Lord loves his people and he wants you to love them too this is why we push church membership right uh, i get it that can sound scary church membership can sound scary um because you hear horror stories and here here's the truth okay full transparency if you join our church odds are at some point or other during our life together you will be hurt because we're a bunch of sinners Like Jesus is in the midst of us shaping and molding us so that he he makes us more like him, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we still do it. We push into life together because Jesus calls us to it. And also, he loves his bride. He loves his people. And so is Jesus at work in your life, not just creating love for him, but creating love for his people? So Paul says, uh, I, see, I see that mark of trust, the faith. The Lord has raised that up in you. I see the, a mark of, of love. What's the final mark? Hope. Faith, hope, love. Verse 5, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Hey, um, what does it mean that they have hope laid up for them in heaven? Well, see, uh, Christian hope isn't just a sort of a wishful, uh, uh, desiring uh, a longing for something future, right? But instead, it's a certain expectation that God is gonna come through on his promises. The Lord has made promises, we cling to those. That's, that's what hope is. And so for Paul, usually when he speaks of hope, he is, uh, he's got a very specific hope in mind. It's the hope that death isn't the end of the story, that God has promised Death is not the end of the story. Instead, Jesus defeated death and sin. And so not only will there be life after death, but it will be the kind of life that we were made for. So our hope in heaven is our death-conquering Savior who is seated at the right hand of God, who, who promises that death doesn't have the final word. Jesus has the final word. And that... Friends, segues nicely into the tail end of our sermon here. See, when Paul wanted to highlight that the, the, the gospel message that the, that the Colossians heard was trustworthy, he didn't just point them to fruit that was happening out there in the world or fruit that they could see in and of themselves, right? What did he do? He pointed them to the one who had given Epaphras and Paul that message in the first place. The one who the message is all about, the Christ, the King, King Jesus. All right? hey, here's, here's just a quick reminder, right? We've heard this before. Um, but Christ is just the Greek word for the Hebrew title Messiah, which means anointed one or king, right? And by the way, uh, the word Christ shows up in the book of Colossians 25 times. Five of those times in our passage. I want to know what Colossians is all about? The Christ. Colossians is all about the Christ. This letter is about King Jesus. And so why can the Colossians trust the message that Epaphras learned from Paul and then later delivered to his friends in Colossae? Because the Christ, the King himself, is the one who both commissions this message stands behind it, right? Look at uh, verse one here. Paul says, this is how he identifies himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle, again, that, that is literally just the word, a sent one. So you could read verse one saying this way, Paul, one sent by Christ, by the king. He didn't come on his own authority. His message wasn't his own. It came from the king. And then same is true of Epaphras. Look down at verse uh, 7 here. Uh, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ. King Jesus was the one that faithful Epaphras was serving, right? It didn't matter that he was a local yokel. It didn't matter that he was a homeboy. What mattered was he was bearing the king's message. And when he did, he spoke as a king's messenger. All right. All right king stands behind his message so what what is that message right if we're we're saying a faithful messenger is one who brings the message of the king and the king authorizes that message stands behind that message what's that message that's the whole point right here's the message verse 5 because of the hope that is laid up for you of this you have heard before in the word of truth that means the true word the gospel the gospel that's the message hey um gospel is a churchy word and it's a beautiful word. So here's what that means. Gospel literally means good news, both in English and in Greek. Um, uh, Yeah, oh, I was going to go all in to like nerd out about words with you. Um, But it literally just means good news. Y'all, this was the word that Back in the ancient world, when, when a victorious king won a battle, he put this word in the mouth of his messengers saying, go tell the folks back home, I've won a great victory against our threatening enemy. Tell the folks back home, they're safe. I have won. See, it's the gospel, it, it, it's, it's the headlines that people read the day after uh, VE day when uh, here in the United States, right? Troops are coming home. Why? The war is over. We're safe. We've won. That's the gospel. The king has won. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's free. Just like all good news. Good news is free. It's not good advice. It's not good counsel. It's not good. It's just good news. It's something that has been done, right? That's what Paul means when, when he's talking about grace. He says the favor of God is like you've heard the gospel of grace, this favor of God that is freely given to you. So Paul says, can you trust this message? He points to Colossians back. Colossians, you remember when you first heard the true good news of King Jesus' victory over sin and death and how he offers you that victory as well if you will submit to him, trust him as king. And there's nothing that you all have to do to earn that. You remember how that changed your lives? How how you found yourself trusting King Jesus, loving His people, and hoping in the complete with a complete assurance of His deliverance on future promises, the future that our King promises. Colossians, you can trust that message. Holy Cross, we can trust that message. And it's not just because Epaphras was faithful and a trustworthy messenger. It's not because Paul was a faithful and trustworthy. It's because. And and it's not just because the message bears fruit and gives results, right? You can trust this message because the king himself stands behind it. He's the one that this message is all about anyway. Hey, over the course of the next several weeks, we're gonna see how Jesus stands behind his message. Friend, whatever questions that, and fears that you may have heading into this year. However, your trust may have been shattered before, maybe, maybe even the past year, right? Here's what I want for us in 2024. I want, what I want for us extending beyond, right? I want us to know the one who is completely trustworthy. I want us to, to keep our eyes locked on Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only. Jesus always. I want us to hide ourselves away in in the true and trustworthy message, the good news that our king has come and our king has won. And like Paul would pray, and this is what I'm praying for you all, um, my prayer is that we'll continue to grow in in that faith, that hope, and that love as we marinate in this trustworthy message of a trustworthy king. Let's pray. Lord, we just take a moment and we give you our next year. There's a lot that is coming. There's a lot that people in here are anticipating, hoping, maybe fearing uh, in the next year. Looking back, things, things have been, you've been faithful in the heart. And looking forward, we may hope for a lot of change. We may just be afraid of what's coming. So Father, we wanna give you Our next year. I pray, Lord, that in the next year you would ground us in your truth. In the next year we would cling to the one who is trustworthy. Father, I pray that your gospel message would so seep into who we are that it shapes how we live, how we see life, how we live with each other. Jesus, I pray that you would do all of this for your glory, that we might come to know you and see you more. And, and spread your fame. I pray all this, Lord, in your name.